0: Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, tonight I wanna to continue a deep dive into Genesis and we're gonna be in the last part of Genesis nine and I'm going to reference Genesis 10. We won't actually read all of Genesis 10 because Genesis 10 is a genealogy. And frankly, you know, sometimes you read those genealogies, and you're reading the genealogy, and then your eyes start shutting and closing, and you're like, okay, this person was related to this person, and they went this way. And sometimes the genealogies in the Bible do some really weird family tree branching out kind of stuff. And it's hard sometimes to keep track. But what's happening at the end of Genesis 9 is connected to what's happening in Genesis 10, so we will, you know, kind of put those together. Um, kind of a reminder where, where we're at in, in the story. Uh, God created the physical realm. You know, humanity is the epitome of everything. Man is, is, is made in God's image and was made to represent God and, and rule and reign for God over this new uh, creation. But sin entered into the world um, and mankind rebelled against God. And uh, so God already had a plan of redemption in place and got that, got that going. But the effects of sin were so extensive and evil was so prevalent that God, it says, the way that it reads, God regretted making man and just wanted to destroy the world, but he saved a remnant. So he destroyed a world uh, by flood, except there was a remnant that had refuge uh, in the ark. And uh, from those who were in the ark, it would be repopulated. So, you know, they were on that ark for a year, a little over a year. Uh, until they could finally depart and um, begin what we're going to be looking at tonight, the kind of the repopulation of the world. When when they departed from the ark, God had made a covenant with them saying that he would never destroy the world by flood again. I know some of you were questioning that last night. You're like, well, did God go back on that? But no, he, he did not destroy the world by flood again because God is a God who keeps his Promises, but when we look at this repopulation, we're given an explanation of uh, you know we, we, you know we've seen in, in Genesis that there is a chosen line. God is working through a chosen line because His plan of redemption comes through that chosen line until it gets to the chosen one, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this first part of Genesis is kind of explaining how we're getting to that point and so now uh, you have Noah and his wife but then you have Noah's three sons and their wives and so obviously it's from the three sons that the rest of the world is going to get repopulated but now there's one chosen line out of the three but then there is an explanation given about why another line is cursed one line is blessed another line is cursed why? well look in Genesis 9 Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years and all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. All right, so now the the story is turning to the survivors of the flood. Noah's three sons would branch off into three different lines of people. One would be blessed and used, another would be cursed. And the third... Well, they would, the third would live in the shadow of whoever they chose to follow. Would they follow God or would they follow someone else? So, from Noah, we go to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from whom all the rest of the world were descended. You know, we all, we all know that we're all descended from Adam, but you know what? We're all descended from Noah too, and then we're all descended from one of those three. So from those three sons and their wives, the, rest, the world would be repopulated after the destruction of the flood. And so we're given their stories here. And in chapter 10, we are given some of their genealogies that have importance to the nation of Israel. And so chapter 10 is called the Table of Nations because it describes, well, okay, all these nations that had something to do with Israel. This is where they came from. And what we're trying to explain here in chapter 9 and chapter 10 is this is the reason why one line was blessed and this other line was cursed and why what is going on. Because we have to remember the uh, context within which this has been written. Moses is writing this, To the Israelites, I mean, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, I mean, Moses met face to face to God. So, I mean, he's literally getting it from God's mouth. And so Moses is writing this down for the nation of Israel who is on the verge of going into the promised land to wipe out the Canaanite people. And here in chapters 9 and 10, we get a glimpse of why they are going to wipe out the Canaanite people. Because this incident that's recorded here in Genesis happened, I mean, give or take a thousand years, somewhere around a thousand years, you know, before they they would take over the land. And this curse that is given to these people, along with 1,000 or so years of accumulated sin, would make this people, this Canaanite people, ripe, for judgment and the israelites were going to be the tool of god's judgment against these wicked people it started there with ham and then canaan and then their wickedness just grew and grew and grew over a millennia what we find here at the end of chapter 9 through chapter 10 is how one author describes it is for later israel the table of nations oriented the hebrews to their neighbors geographically and inferentially forewarns them of those people whose moral history and inclinations are suspect especially the people of canaan where they will reside canaan was first and foremost associated in the hebrew mind with a corrupted ancestry they had a corrupted ancestry and they were a sinful, wicked nation. And so, Genesis here is orienting kind of the world picture for the Israelites as they're about to go into the promised land. And so there is a cursed line, there is a blessed line, but the reason that Israel came from the blessed seed and Canaan was the cursed seed, it comes from a very, if you want to call it strange or weird, story. Because it does start with Noah. It starts with an incident with Noah. Our passage says that Noah became a person of the soil. He became a gardener. He became a farmer or something like that. He got into agriculture. So he began to cultivate the ground and grew vegetation For food and, well, I guess as we see, also for drink. And so, you know, the flood happened. The earth recovered enough for agricultural work, normal agricultural work, to resume. And so, amongst the things that Noah planted, Noah planted a vineyard. And from the grapes of this vineyard, he produced wine. Now, it... it, I I don't think that Noah just kind of invented the vineyard. I mean, probably before the flood, there were vineyards. And I don't think that Noah invented wine. Before the flood, there uh, was wine. And and so he he grew a vineyard, he took the grapes, and he made wine. And this is strange to say, but there's no two ways about it. Noah got slobber and drunk. He, I, I mean, let's face it, he passed out. And it doesn't really say, I mean, it, it, we don't go into the details because that is not really the, the focus of the whole thing. It honestly, yeah, you know, I don't know, he may have been getting ready for bed and he just kind of, you know, fell over, but we we can't negate his culpability in, in this whole thing. You know, there, there's some there's some scholars, teachers, I don't know what you want to call them, who try and soften kind of what Noah did. They go something to the effect of, well, you know, after the flood, things in agriculture changed, and he didn't know that the grapes had fermented and yada yada yada, and so it was all an all an accident. Well. The Bible doesn't say that. But, you know, the Bible doesn't really say anything about it one way or, or the, the, the the other, because really the focus isn't on Noah here. And, and so, yes, drunkenness is, is sin. Um, and that's the thing we got to remember. The flood didn't stop sin. And, and just because Noah was a righteous man in the eyes of God, which is what we are told in, in Genesis 6, um, that doesn't mean that he didn't sin. I mean, a lot of God's righteous people sinned. Abraham was a serial liar. David was a murderer and an adulterer. And it's in God's mercies that he uses us sinners. And so he used, it. He used Noah as well. But for whatever reason, whatever happened to Noah he he was left in a very shameful position, drunk, passed out, and naked. And then verse 22 tells us things kind of go from bad to worse. Ham saw that his dad was passed out drunk and naked, and he disgraced his father by going and telling his brothers what he saw. Ham was the kind of guy that, you know, if they would have had cell phones back then, Ham would have been the kind of guy who was going around with his cell phone trying to find people in embarrassing situations so that they could po- he could post it on social media and have a good laugh at somebody's expense. That was Ham. So they didn't have cell phones back then. They didn't have social media back then. Probably good in both cases. But eh, either way, he decided, I'm going to, to the best of my ability, I'm just going to, to laugh at my dad I'm going to go around and and tell my brothers what happened so he goes to his brothers hey guess what dad's passed out drunk naked naked in his tent ha 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 lol that's what Ham did Ham humiliated and dishonored his father a man who was chosen and blessed of God And, and Ham took delight in the disgrace of Noah. Ham delighted in Noah's downfall. Noah was in a vulnerable position and Ham took advantage of that. He didn't help his dad. Didn't cover up his dad. Didn't do anything except humiliate his dad. Now, Ham's brothers did not join him in this joking and this jesting. They showed respect. They showed honor to their father. They wanted to protect their father they wanted to protect his dignity and so they covered him up without looking i mean you know it talks about how they put on his shoulder they were kind of trying to go backwards and you know lay it over so they 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 didn't they weren't going to gawk at this they weren't going to delight in this they were going to protect their dad ham acted sinfully shamefully unrighteously But Shem and Japheth, they took precautions not to look at their father's nakedness. They they helped him out. Well, Noah woke up, probably had a hangover. He finds out what Ham did. Probably the brothers told him. Well, you know, Ham, he, he told us the position you were in, and he was making light of it. And so it says, and you notice when reading this passage, every time Ham is mentioned, or almost every time that Ham is mentioned, it goes, Ham, the father of Canaan. Ham, the father of Canaan. Because there's an emphasis on Canaan. Noah curses Canaan. Now, that sounds strange. Why didn't you curse Ham? Ham is the one who who did this thing. There's been a a lot of talk, debate, a lot of problems, a lot of consternation among scholars why why this this happened. Why curse Canaan instead of Ham? And the only explanation that I can think of is, okay, so Ham was the youngest of the sons, Canaan was the youngest of of his sons and so he noah transferred the curse from his youngest to that one's youngest so that the entire line of ham would not be cursed but just the one line would be cursed and so what we're doing here we're giving a reason we're giving an impetus to well how ham's sinful nature passed down to canaan and why the israelites were on the cusp of taking over that land and destroying those people. Because Ham's unrighteousness passed down to Canaan, and Canaan passed it down to all his kin, all his descendants, and it just kept going for a thousand years. They were wicked people. And they filled up the cup of their unrighteousness to the brim. Now, Canaan was not Ham's only descendant, but he was the focus of the curse. Ham's other sons would not be cursed in chapter 10, verses 6 through 20. I mean, there's a whole lot of time spent on on Ham and his descendants. And we see all these nations that come from him. The nations include Cush and Egypt and Put. All of those were northern Africa. Now there have been some idiot racists out there that have tried to pass the curse along to all of Ham's groups and all, uh, you know, especially Cush, Egypt, and Put. And they did that to try and justify the slavery of Africans. That's wrong. That is sinful. That is unbiblical. The curse was passed along to Canaan and Canaan alone. And the Canaanites would settle and grow in Canaan. Makes sense. Which is the promised land to the Israelites. And so they are the focus of the curse. They are why, you know, the the Israelites are there. The Israelites now are going to fulfill the curse that was given to Canaan as they take over the land. Now, yeah, there's there's some interesting side notes in in, uh, Ham's descendants. You know, it talks about Nimrod, who built the area of Babel, or Babel, however you want to pronounce it, which comes kind of important in in chapter 11. And he also uh, later would found the city of Nineveh, which later on in Israel's history would become kind of important as well. So that's the cursed line. That is why Israel is going to destroy them. But now in chapter 9, verse 26, it talks about Shem. Shem is the one that is blessed because God is Shem's God. Shem followed God. Shem would then be used of God. Now, Shem was probably the oldest of the sons, and he would be the chosen one for the continued line of God. He was the chosen line through whom eventually the Messiah uh, would come. You know, it started with, after Adam and his sin, And then Cain killed Abel. Seth was the chosen son. And you follow along until you get to Noah. Now from Noah, you start with Shem. And you follow all the way down. You go into chapter 11, and you get all the way to Abraham. Now in chapter 10, verses 21 through 31, uh, Shem's uh, genealogy is given. We find that one of his descendants is Eber which is probably where we get the term Hebrew from. Uh, it talks about another descendant named Peleg, whose name means division. For in his day, the earth was divided, it says. Most likely that means that Peleg was the one that was around when the whole Tower of Babel thing occurred. And in chapter 11, verses 10 through 32, another long genealogy, but it eventually gets you to Abraham. You know, in, in chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis, you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of history all kind of compressed into one little thing there because they're trying to get to Abraham. And that's where, you know, the story really begins of how the Israelites became a people. And it's important to us because, well, if the Israelites didn't become a people, we wouldn't have a Messiah. But God, Israel was God's chosen vessel through whom the Messiah Would come. So, so Canaan from Ham is the cursed one. Shem is the blessed one. Then you have Japheth, and Noah prays that Japheth and his descendants would be enlarged and dwell in the tents of Shem. So you know Japheth becomes blessed when they kind of connect themselves with Shem. Uh, Verses two through five in chapter ten gives Japheth's descendants. um, Nothing overly exciting there. It seems that they went north and west. They were probably in what we would call Asia Minor and even into Europe. And so uh, Japheth is blessed when you know, he blesses Shem. Chapter 9 ends Noah's story. Noah, the righteous man, Noah, the one who built the ark, Noah who, who just did good up until the whole drunken thing. The flood came when he was 600 years old. Imagine building an ark when you're 600 years old. And then he lived another 350 years. He died at the ripe old age of 950. And his story is done, but he had a very important part of the story. Living through a time when God's holiness and justice was placed on full display. Why is all of this important? One of the major themes that we get from the first 11 chapters of Genesis is that God is working history toward his own purposes, yeah. you know, okay, like y'all are in school, you, you go through history class and you're, you're fighting to stay awake, like, uh, history class, um, because we, we look at history and we think it's, okay, this kind of happened over here and this kind of happened over here, and, and we think that it's a whole big mess of mumbo jumbo that isn't related to, to one another. It's just maybe a bunch of cause and effects all over the place, but we think maybe that history isn't related to to one another. But there is an overall theme. God is working in the midst of history all over the world. God is redeeming a remnant of humanity out of both the temporal and the eternal effects of sin. God moves in history, and God moved in history that led to Christ and the cross And the resurrection and now god is moving through the history of all peoples all over the world building a church out of every people out of every tribe tongue and nation and so we 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 see that that god is able to turn something bad in history into something useful or good as it moves toward his purposes it's going somewhere We might not know where. We think, you know, history is just a bunch of chaos. But going somewhere, you know, you look at Russia and Ukraine, you're thinking, man, that's a mess. But you know what? It it is a mess. But God is able to steer that mess toward his purposes. What is his purposes there? We don't know. We don't need to know. I mean, do do we honestly think that God has to take up up some sort of counsel with us? Hey, what do you think I should do with Russia and Ukraine? No matter what I think you should do, God is working. God is doing something. God is directing all events eventually to Christ's return. When that's going to happen, we don't know. Christ doesn't know the date of his return. We sure don't. God has that under control. Every part of history. You know, with, yeah, we've been through a lot over the past two years, but you know what? What we have gone through the past two years, yeah, I mean, we're the ones that have gone through it. So yeah, it, it seems like, oh my goodness, it's been like the worst time in, in, ever in history. But it isn't. There have been a whole lot of worse things that have happened in history than anything that we've gone through, or that we're going through. And you know what? God directed it all, and God God got everyone through it. So God's going to get us through this as well. Christ could return tomorrow. Christ could return 5,000 years from now. We don't know. So, we're not going to obsess on that. Let's, let, let's live for Him now and trust Him to get us where He wants us. Right? What, is, what does God want from me? What is He directing me toward? What is my purpose? How has He gifted me? How am I using the, that gift for ministry so that His kingdom advances? You know, God had, okay, in Genesis, God had this line. It eventually led to the Messiah. The Messiah has sent us out to the world. What are we doing to take over the world? You know, we complain about, and we should, I mean, Russia's trying to take over the Ukraine. But you know what? The Great Commission tells us Christians, not only take over Ukraine, take over the entire world. Get out there and take over the world for Christ. We don't even take over our own lives for Christ. Most of the time. Man, the conviction that I felt listening to these young folks, wonderful, I'm so proud of them, and the word that's hidden in their heart and in their mind, and then hopefully living it through. Man, we, we are called to something greater, we're called to something bigger. And so we trust the God who is directing history, and we are part of that history. We are part of it. What are we doing with what God has given us for that? That was a whole other sermon that was never intended. But by golly, you got two for one tonight. Ooh, Okay, I'm going to have to like pray real quick here at the end. I know I'm already really late. Another lesson is that sin looms large over humanity, but God's grace looms even larger. Yeah, you know what? Ham sinned big time, and Canaan and his descendants would be the epitome epitome of wickedness on this earth. You try and say the word epitome after trying to talk fast. But for every Canaan, there is a Shem. There is God's chosen people. Shem's line led to Christ, but the people of God is no longer a physical genealogy. Because you notice that after the genealogies in the gospel, there is no more genealogy, because guess what? Physical lineage does not matter anymore. It is the spiritual seed, those who have been connected now to Christ, God's people, those as as Paul describes it, engrafted into the tree. It is the people of faith, the people who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so yes, we definitely need to bring up our kids in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but guess what? We got to go out and tell others and, and invite them into it too because that is the call. And so we pray for a holy bride, we pray for a holy work, we pray that unbelievers would come to know a holy savior. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltre Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.